if you have a small child who um, you would like to send to the nursery, this is the second time. This is when we normally send children to the nursery. Um, Jim is down there, and they hadn't tied him up when I went and checked on him. Um, and so if you want to send, uh, if you have small children who, who maybe fall asleep or, or get rowdy when I'm talking, because um, I'm not that interesting to children, or maybe anyone else. Um, thanks, honey. Um, this would be the time to do that. If you have children who are going to be sitting with you, um, we do have coloring pages and crayons. And so if you raise your hand, my wife will bring, I can't imagine. <laughs> Did you raise your hand for your nieces and nephews or for your husband? <laughs> so um, as we come into the message, we're going to pray right quick. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with us this morning. Uh, help me to speak words that reflect your heart only. Help me to um, um, rely on you for, for truth only and not my own opinion or not um, what's popular. In Christ's name, amen. Oh, this is part three of Kingdom Woman. We did five parts of Kingdom Man, and those were fun and easy sermons to do because um, I picked on the men. These sermons have been a little more stressful. Um, and so um, I'll, I'll remind you, there's lots of fruits and vegetables in the back if you need to throw. And Ross is here to protect me on the way to my car. And so um, have any of y'all ever gone to a big city? I mean, not like Great Falls. I mean, a real city. <laughs> I mean, a city with more than a million people. Um, in Chicago, right, and uh, we moved here from from Indiana, but I lived in Chicago for a few years. And, and in Chicago, there's this stretch of road just north of the river, right on the, right on the river, um, called the, the, the um, Magnificent Mile. And you all know what I'm talking about? It's, it's, a, it's a, about a mile of shops and restaurants where, like, if you go there, if you're me and you go there, you can't afford to buy anything. Like, and so you walk down the road and you don't go into the store in case you accidentally knock something down and have to mortgage your house to pay for it. Um, but, but it's where all the flagship stores are. And so, like, there's an Apple store. And it's like if heaven has an Apple store, and I'm pretty sure it does, um, <laughs> um, it would be this because it's all their best stuff. Right. And there's a Nike store that's huge and ridiculous. And and, um, you know, if, you, if you're into that kind of thing, they, they've got, you know, sports stuff. And, um, you know, there's an FAO Schwartz, which is the the most like ridiculous toy store ever. Um, and I think there's an American Girl store, which I've never gone anywhere near. So I don't know what it is. Um, <laughs> but but it's this just mile of shops. And and as you walk down this road, they have um, windows. Right. Big, big windows. And they put their best stuff in those windows. Why do they do that? So jerks like me who can't afford anything can stand there and feel bad about how poor I am. But also, for people who can't afford it, they walk along and they see and they say, wow, that's a nice dress. And not, I wouldn't say that, but you know, <laughs> that's a nice suit. I should go in there and buy that. So they, they put it out there as an attraction. It's the come in and buy it thing, Right. Um, some of y'all maybe have seen uh, A Christmas Story. It's a movie about a little boy who wants a BB gun. Has anybody not seen it? It's probably a better question. The, you haven't seen that? Oh, my gosh. You probably, I think you even sell some of the stuff from that movie in your shop. Um, in the beginning of the movie, Ralphie is sitting in front of the, the I don't know what department store. It's probably Macy's or something that doesn't exist anymore. Um, and he's looking at the BB gun. 
like the Red Ryder BB gun, and he's drooling over it. And all the other kids are looking at the toys in the window, and they just want it, right? Like they want whatever it is that's in there. And, and um, as we talk about, about what it means to be a kingdom woman, and by kingdom woman I mean like a woman who acts in accordance with God's kingdom, right? Like acts in a way that, that reflects God's will for our lives, how God intended us to be, right? Um, part of the deal is you become a bit of a department store window, and we're going to get to that. It's not sex. It's not horrible. It's, it's sexist, I said. Um, it's not horrible. I'll get to it. But, but the general idea here is we're going to be looking at, at what it means to put on display the best of what God has as a part of your everyday life. Um, and to do this, we're going to be looking at um, the book of Peter. And, and here's some background. Our previous sermons, we, we did five sermons where we talked about men, what it means to be a kingdom man. And... Um, there were a number of things that came along with that. We talked about dominion, which is something that God gave to man, like at the creation. He says, look, you're in charge of the whole world. Go, go rule it, right? And, and so man has dominion, but man only has dominion in as much as he's in alignment with God's will, right? So, like, he sort of channels God's will in the world. When he steps off to the side, it all falls apart and it goes wonky. Um, women are a part of that, Right? Um, women are a part of that, but their role is slightly different. Um, last week, we talked about the idea of submission. Um, and what we talked about was that it's not, about a, it's not a crushing thing, right? It's not where you sit on the couch and where the men sit on the couch and watch TV and say, woman, get me a sandwich. And she runs and gets a sandwich for him. It's not that. It's, it's a willing thing. And Peter touches on that, and so we're going to get into that in a, section, in a second. Um, the last element of this, I want to explain the letter. Peter's writing this letter to a group of Christians who are in, like, Ephesus and a couple other places. And, and these letters, um, this letter, it goes primarily to converts who are Gentiles before. There are some Jewish converts, but most of them were Gentiles, right? And so, like, like why this makes a difference is he's, when he writes to them, he speaks to them like, like they're Greeks instead of Jews. And I'll get to why that matters in a minute. Okay, um, so that's a part of it, and, and it's sort of a general letter. He wrote, probably wrote one copy, and then he gave it to a guy who photocopied it. They had photocopiers in the first century that just took forever, and he did it by hand. Um, and, and they distributed those photocopies to all the churches in this, in this region, and they all got copies of it. Most of what's covered in the book is basic, right? Super, super basic. Um, the section we're going to be looking at is what's called a household code, all right? Um, a household code was something, some of y'all when you were kids maybe had to memorize little sayings and stuff like that as a part of going to school. I think you had to write on shovels at that time, like it was a long time ago. Um, and um, these household codes, you would memorize them, and it would give you guidelines for how you were supposed to act in your house and in your family. Everybody with me? It was a very Greek thing. And so Peter breaks into a household code. And what we're going to be looking at is one of these household codes. And what he does is he addresses, he does his all funny. Because normally you would start with the husband, and then you would go to the wife, and then you would go to the servants or the slaves or whatever, the children actually, then the servants and the slaves. And, and you would go from the most powerful, because they're the most important, to the least powerful. And Peter does this backward. He starts out in chapter 2 addressing servants read slaves, right? And he talks to slaves, and then he explains some stuff. And so we're actually going to start there, um, and, and we're going to just zip right through this part, okay? Because this isn't our main focus. 
Um, this is 16 to 25. Act as free men. Do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves for God. So he's talking about men who are slaves. These are men who are property, right? And he says, act like you're free. But when you're using your freedom, don't use it like for you. Act like you belong to God because you belong to God, right? And so even if you're owned, live like you're free and like you're owned by God. Everybody with me? Um, the context here is going to make a big difference, just so it's important. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, meaning the church, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. Anybody ever have a boss that was unreasonable or, or a jerk? Really, only my wife waved her hand, raised her hand. You don't mean me, right? Um, <laughs> um, the the so he says listen don't even it's not just the good the good you know master it's everyone right respond to him uniformly um and and you need to respond to him in this kind of kind of loving way um be submissive to your masters with all respect so be submissive um come underneath their authority and be respectful for this finds favor if for the sake of conscience toward god a person a person bears up under sorrow when suffering unjustly meaning god is going to favor you if people mistreat you and you say god wants me to do right here everybody with me because how easy is it when somebody mistreats you for you to dig in and be like oh i'm going to show up late for work I'm going to do a, you know, half the effort I could put into my work. And because that guy's a jerk, I'm, I, you know, I'm going to stick it to him because I'm going to do my job crummy. I mean, people do that, right? I never have, but <laughs> people do that. And, and he says, listen, that's not how you need to be. You need to be like you're serving God. And if you're mistreated in the process, recognize that you're serving God and being loving and doing your job right is an act of serving God. And he pays attention and he blesses you. Um, Going on, for, for what credit is there if, when you sin and are treated harshly, you endure it with patience? But if, when you do what is right and suffer for it, you're patient and patiently endure it, this finds you favor with God. All right, so he says, listen, here's your instructions. And then he moves on and he talks about Jesus. Because everything we're going to talk about in relation to men and women, everything we have talked about, what we're talking about today is all about Jesus. Okay. Like if, if I start talking about something and I'm not talking about Jesus, I'm off in left field. Everybody got that? Then you can throw the fruit. Um, nobody has any, I checked. Um, so he goes on, he says, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, and while being reviled, he did not return, or revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. So you have to pause there. So Jesus, right, never sinned, totally mistreated. Everybody with me? You know, whipped, beaten. Um, even before the crucifixion, you look at, you know, the way that folks responded to him. He'd heal somebody, and they'd be like, it's Saturday. You're not supposed to heal people on Saturday, you big jerk. I mean, they, they, they put on him at every opportunity. Um, and he didn't just throw it back at him. He didn't spit. He didn't swear. He didn't yell. He didn't do that stuff, right? Sometimes he called people out for sin, but he didn't, like, dump all this anger out. 
He, he acted in accordance with God's will. Um, and so he says, listen, if you're put on, you're experiencing the same thing Jesus experienced, right? Um, oh, um, so that you might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you are healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. So the context here, he starts out, he says, look at Jesus, right? Jesus suffered. Jesus was mistreated. Jesus went through this stuff. Jesus didn't fight. He didn't yell. He didn't revile, which means like, like dumping angry stuff back on them. He didn't sit with his friends afterwards and gossip and say, did you see that big jerk Pharisee? I can't believe he, he didn't do that stuff, right? He responded in love and he responded in kindness. Sometimes he got angry, but he got angry in righteousness, right? He, his anger was driven by what was right before God, not by his own rights. Um, so we're going to move on. And this is where this is going to start getting tough, okay? In the same way, So this connects to the previous section. So he's saying, just like Jesus, you wives be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Um, Now, last week we talked about submission, okay? I'm not going to rehash that because I don't have time. Um, I'm going to just touch on it briefly. the biblical idea of submission is when you choose to live a certain way, like in reference to someone else. Ideally, with husbands and wives, husbands would love their wives like Christ loves the church, right? Meaning he sacrifices himself. He loves his wife so much that he serves her in everything. He is willing to die for her. He gives up his life for her. He you know, shows her who God is. Like He lives this life that's all about giving to her. And the wife, in turn, has to back up and let him do that stuff, Right? Submission is about not forcing your rights in a situation. Um, You can, but you don't want to. Why don't you want to? Well, because Jesus provides us this example. Now, specifically here, he's talking about wives who are married to men who are not believers. Everybody got that? Um, Very often, um, in the ancient world, you had a lot of pagan religions and stuff like that. Wives would convert. Right. And husbands would say, no, I'm not about that. You can do what you want. Now, he says, listen, when you're in that situation, your responsibility is not to fight him. Right. Um, Your responsibility is not to nag him until he becomes a certain way. Your responsibility is not to punch him or, you know, like be as difficult as you can. Your responsibility is to be like Jesus. That means you love. Right. That means you love beyond reason. But what if my husband's a big jerk and doesn't? Well, Peter says, listen, if you do this, you can win your husband without words. What's he talking about? Well, without words means you're not saying anything. He's seeing who you are, and who you are changes him. Well, that might take a little while. Yeah, it might. But... Imagine, first off, imagine, like, the benefit on the other side, right? So you put in a little while, maybe a long while, of being submissive to a husband who's kind of, you know, kind of a jerk. And you love him, knowing that you're loving him, but at the same time as you're loving him, just like the previous passage, right? You're loving Jesus, right? You're serving Jesus. Ultimately, like, there's a place there where you can win your husband. Now... 
Some of you might be saying, some of you men might be saying, I am not a man married to a man who's not going to church, right? Like, like it, it might seem to not apply. But what, what Peter is talking about here is the department store window, right? You go up to the department store window, and what do you see? You see the best, right? You see the best toys. You see the best Apple products. They're all the best. But anyway, you see, you see the best clothes. You see the best, you know, everything. And what's it there for? Well, they put the best out front, so you'll come in. Um, I've talked to a lot of folks, right? I've talked to a lot of folks who started going to church or like met, you know, because they met Christian people. And they said those folks were different than anybody I ever knew. Anybody. And I, I didn't know what it was, but I wanted to have a part of it. Anybody experience this? You know, where you meet people and you say, this guy is different. And I don't know what's different about him, but whatever it is, I want to be a part of it. This is one of the basic principles of how the gospel spreads. The church is called to be salt and light in the world, right? I, I made soup recently. Michael ate um, some of it. And he gave me grief because it's not seasoned well enough. And so you're eating, like, canned soup that's not good. And you just have to dump a lot of salt in it, right? Because if there's no salt, it doesn't taste good, right? You add salt to bring it flavor. Christians are called to be salt because we're called to be the people who make the world worth living in. And when folks see you, they say, I don't know what he's got, but I want it, right? Because what's on display isn't your best, but it's God's best. Because if it's your best, you're going to deal with people who are difficult, not just husbands. How many of y'all have a difficult person you deal with on a regular basis? <laughs> All y'all deal with me. I'm sure everybody's hand should have been up. Um, you're going to deal with those difficult people, and you're going to look at them and you think, I want to knock your teeth out, buddy. And what you're going to say is, I need to be Jesus in this moment, and I need to show the best of what Jesus has. Now, mind you, anybody eat at McDonald's? Anybody ever walk into McDonald's and look at the picture? Notice that they don't have a display window where they put the food out because you wouldn't go in, right? You look at the picture, and what does the picture look like? It looks awesome. And then you get the food, and you open the box, and you think, what the heck? <laughs> what is this? This isn't about putting on a show, right? It's about putting God's best forward. Not acting a certain way, not pretending to be a certain person, not faking it until other people buy into it. It's about living a life through and through, bottom to top, inside out, that is all about Jesus. And folks look at it and they say, oh my gosh, I want that. And you know where it's hardest to do? At home. You know why? Because you don't go home to put on a show. You go home to relax, and you have to be around your family all the time. And they're the easiest people in your life to be mean to. Isn't it true? They're safe. <laughs> they're really safe. The real you is going to be the one that comes out at home. If you walk home at the end of the day, and the first thing you do is break out the cutting words of the rocks to throw at each other, guess what? you got the McDonald's picture in your window. You're the Fiero, not the Ferrari. Go back and listen to this. I'm sure that's back in a previous sermon. Um, God calls us to be genuine, sold out, belonging to Christ. And that comes out in our lifestyle. Well, why would I do that? Because Jesus died for you. Because you were sinners. Because you strayed. Because you've done wicked things. I've done wicked things. I've done worse things than any of you, I'm quite sure. 
And Jesus still died for me. Did I deserve it? No. If I had a, a spouse who was horrible, instead I have the one I have, which is great, but if I had a spouse who was horrible, would they deserve me to love them and treat them well and bear up under their mistreatment? No, they don't deserve it. Why do I do it? Because Jesus loved me first. And if I'm going to be like Jesus, if I'm going to come into alignment with his kingdom, this is how it's going to play out. You might say, but that's not fun. No, it's not. But it's what's involved in following Christ. We're going to move on. Wow, there's a whole chunk of passage here. I'm already at noon. Um, your, adornment, your adornment must not be merely external, braided the hair and wearing gold and jewelry or putting on dresses. Let it be hidden. Let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of gentleness and the quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. Okay. Now, if you listen to last week's sermon, you're going to see this or you're going to hear this thing about don't dress up a certain way that's too flashy. What was going on was in the church that Paul was writing to last week, there were women who were dressing kind of like prostitutes. Right. And it was creating a fuss and people were paying attention to them instead of to God. Right. He's not, you know, Paul wasn't saying you can't dress nice. Peter, in fact, says dress nice. Right. There's a couple of reasons for this. For starters, when you were dating your husbands, I know for some of y'all it was a while ago, did you put on the burlap sack to go to the movies? Did you wear the pajama clothes to go to the movies? Did you? I mean, no, you put on nice clothes, right? You put on the nice stuff. Why? Because you're trying to win his heart. Oftentimes what happens is you get about 10 years down the road and it's like, well, I already got his heart. I don't need that anymore. Let me get the old stuff out. It's comfortable. Fact of the matter is that, like, like this isn't the primary point here, but I am stepping off to point at this, right? Part of submission, in reality, is recognizing that, that for wives, it's recognizing your husband's in a certain place, and your husband has certain ways of being, right? And husbands are very visual. That's all I'm going to say about that. Um, that having been said, it applies to men as well. Not that you should try and look good. It's hard for me because I look good all the time. Um, but you should. <laughs> Thank you, honey. That's the nicest bit of heckling I've gotten from you. <laughs> but husbands need to pay attention to how they are and make sure that it's pleasing to their wives. Why? Because you're submissive to them, right? Or you're Christ to them and you want to put your best forward um, because this is what it means to love. So women, it's okay to do your hair nice for your husband. It's okay to like look pretty. It's okay to do this stuff because you did it when you were dating. Don't be the McDonald's sandwich. Um, <laughs> I bought it and it looks like that. anyway. Nobody throwing. I'm sorry. I should not have said that. <laughs> that was way over the line. I, I, I stepped over the line. That was too much. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I repent. It's, it's bad. <laughs> I'm going to be in so much trouble when I get home. Um, but he says, listen, put on something better, right? In your heart, the imperishable qualities of a gentle and quiet spirit. Now, he's writing to Greeks, okay? For the Greeks, gentle and quiet spirit was kind of a catchphrase. It was one of the highest ideals you could attain toward, right? And so Paul's act, or Peter's actually reaching out of the Bible here for a second, and he's pointing to a quality that's valued in the culture, and that is a gentle and quiet spirit. What does that mean? Well, um, 
it's not referring to just being quiet, right? It's not referring to wives not speaking. It refers to um, not being um, prickly. That's the word. Anybody ever know somebody who was prickly? You know, or who could become prickly at the drop of a hat? Or who could become very difficult at the drop of a hat? Um, he's saying the opposite of this. Um, gentleness is um, oftentimes ill-tempered is the opposite there, being brusque. Um, biblically, we see this word used to refer to people who don't attack back, um, but trust that God is going to deliver them, right? How does that fit with this? Well, if a woman is dealing with a husband who's a jerk, right? And some husbands are jerks. I'm going to do a disclaimer here in a second. Um, and you think, well, God, can't you fix this guy? Right? Can't you do something? Ultimately, God can fix them. Right? And you have to trust that God's going to do that. If you take it into your own hands and you say, well, God, I'm going to trust you, but I'm not going to trust you with this. I'm going to do it myself. First off, you're going to mess it up. Secondly, um, you're not taking on this quiet spirit because that, you're, you're taking it in your own hands. You're not trusting God will deliver you. Um, here's the here's the aside. I am not advocating husbands hitting their wives or anything like that, okay? So, you know, that's my aside. I'm not saying, hey, you know what, if your husband's beating you, just smile and take it. That is not what I'm saying, okay? Everybody with me? Because there's just some things are just wrong and unacceptable, and that's one of those things. Um, but this is about the husband who is crabby. It is about the husband who sits on the couch and doesn't care about bringing their kids up in Jesus. This is about the husband who's fallen short. But in turn, it applies to everyone. Why? Because we all are the department store window. And when Paul says, listen, put on the good stuff inside, it's not about looking a certain way. It's about being a certain way. So when you open the hamburger box, it's worth having, right? Because the inside is the gentle and quiet spirit. Uh, Last two verses we're going to look at. For in this way... In former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any or frightened with any fear. What he's talking about here, okay? Um, he's talking about like there were four women who were considered mothers of Israel. And so he points back and he says, be like these people. Right? And Sarah was kind of the, the queen of them all, right? Because she's Abraham's wife. I mean, she's, she's the mother of Isaac. She was the mother of the promise. I mean, it's a big deal. How long did Sarah wait to have a child? Like 10 years at a minimum, right? But she was 90 when it happened, or when they started the 10 years. So she waited a really long time to get what she wanted. And so when he says, be patient, he's saying, Look at Sarah. She waited forever, right? And so sometimes you have to wait for God to move. I don't know about you guys, but I hate waiting. I hate it when I pull into the McDonald's drive-thru to get my ugly sandwich, and I've got to wait 42 minutes to get to the front of the line because the guy in front of me doesn't realize the menu is always the same. (laughs) Um, I don't like to wait for things. If my Wi-Fi is slow, I'm ready to break stuff, right? Because that's my sinful nature. The sinful nature says, I want what I want, and I want it now. And what Peter is saying is, trust God to deliver you, and it might take a while. Look at Sarah. She waited 90, 100 years to get what she wanted, but God delivered her. She named the child Laughter, right? 
Because could you imagine waiting that long and finally getting it and being overjoyed and filled with laughter? And don't be frightened. Fear comes from a lack of trust of God, right? Application. This is, um, oh, sorry, I apparently, in relation to um, the last part of this, to, hus- uh, to sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and hum- humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you are called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. So Peter talks about husbands, right? And he says, likewise, live with your wives with a gentle and understanding spirit or something like that. That's the Eric translation. Um, and then he closes up. He says, listen, harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, Humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil. Look at yourself and ask yourself, how am I doing this? Right? This is the measure, the mirror. When you hold this one up and you say, how am I in relation to the people around me? When my coworker acts like a big jerk, am I harmonious? Am I humble? Am I kind? Am I trading insult for insult? It's the mirror, right? When my husband or wife or children act like I want to kill them, right? How am I acting? This is everyone. Are you putting on the best display that God has? Are you putting the best stuff forward? The stuff worth going in to get? Or are you putting up the McDonald's menu and saying, here it is? Or are you not even bothering with that? Because some folks don't even bother with that, right? They pretend to follow Jesus and then they live like garbage. My challenge for you this week is 3, 8 to 9, this verse. Look at it. Every day, every day, maybe three or four times a day, and ask yourself, is this me? Am I a good display of what God wants? We're going to close in prayer. Do we have one last song? Okay. Um, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would uh, bless us this week. Help us to um, love you in a way that involves um, being submissive, that involves putting um, the best things forward and putting on display your grace and your heart to those that we encounter. Um, In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Then we're going to put your music back.